0: Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. In this episode, Ahmed Medhat, data scientist and advisor at DoDill, on surfacing business and relationship context through data.
1: This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hi, and today I'm with Ahmed, or Ahmed, if I should use the way we say it here in the UK. Hi, how are you? Good, good. How
0: are you, Paul? Good, thank you. So can you tell us who you are a little bit so that we know what you do? My name is Ahmed Medhat. I currently work as a data science lead at Facebook. Prior to Facebook, I uh, worked for about four years with Doodle. I ran the data science team, and Doodle is a fintech startup in the UK. And prior to that, I used to do research at the Oxford Internet Institute, which is affiliated with the University of Oxford, and it brings together like a combination of social scientists and data scientists and engineers and trying to answer interesting social science questions with data.
1: If I link the three you just mentioned, a keyword is data, correct?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> data and networks.
1: Data and networks. Yeah. So you don't work anymore at Doodle, but you've been working there for, I think,
0: four years. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so I worked for four years and I'm currently involved in advisory capacity as well.
1: What do they do first? Because that will allow us to get a better sense of what you do.
0: Doodle's main goal is to contextualize the world's private company information. So when you think about it, the information available about private companies, there's a huge gap between information available on private companies and and public companies. While that's like stating the obvious, the implications it has on the way business works is quite huge. Uh, The less information you have about a business, the less able you are as a bank to know which businesses should get a loan and which business should not. The less you are able as a client to know which businesses to source your supplies from and which businesses to not, and to know which businesses to sell to that are able to pay back. not and when you look into how that whole like system of procurement or marketing or funding which are like the basic building blocks of the information you need for making business decisions when you look into it you see like the information being used to make these decisions quite basic at the moment most like credit scoring mechanisms or because of inavailability of information they rely on either very low frequency but accurate data like company accounts which are filed annually or semi-annually or very basic information that is easy to tamper with so basically if a method is not change for long it can get easy essentially to hack so you get like people understanding that if you get a phone number you'll get a better credit score and we actually experimented with that like we experimented with like different credit scoring methods that are being used now and like if you get a phone number it can jump as much as 20 points at sometimes, and, and issues like that so essentially this lack of information about private companies even in as an advanced economy as the uk economy is is massively harming businesses it's harming our understanding of how even large certain economies are like not knowing properly the number of the companies in the UK, the number of companies in a very specific segment within an economy, then you have no idea you know, the lack of resources you have in the country as well. You have no idea with the progress in each field, what is going up, what is going down. It's a quite a fundamental problem to the way the economy works, and it, and it was quite an exciting thing to be involved with.
1: There's a lack either of data, or there's a lack of accuracy of data, but what I gather as well is a lack of dynamic into that data, because even if you have the right data, then What do you do with it? How do you leverage that data to understand, for instance, for do it with which companies you're working with?
0: So yeah, so it's a combination of lack of data and lack of using it. However, I'd say that the main lack is the lack of bringing together this data itself. So, knowing, like, imagine if to do credit scoring, you could know the company's cash flow real time. Basically, the more real time your data supply is and the more in depth it is, obviously, the more you're able to make accurate decisions. When the information is lagging and you're trying to predict something that already exists elsewhere, so you're trying to predict is this company's profit going to decline or not in practice it's not a prediction it's just a deferred knowledge right so you know something Mm -hmm. that already happened but you end up knowing it later and you think you're predicting anything but there's no need in reality you just need to move closer to the source and the thing is a lot of these things are not just issues of information that is not typically um, exposed or public it's sometimes just bringing together different data sets which is why like data matching is a central problem there so let's say the government publishes data sets on its like procurements which company was used to acquire printers for the Ministry of Justice or like whatever. They record all these things. Imagine this data set was connected to company information, which is not at the moment, at least not systematically. Then you can know which companies are winning government contracts and Which companies are getting renewed government contracts? Now, this is obviously a very valuable data set. And now you think about it, you'll find all these bits and pieces of different places you can bring together these data sets together. You can like go to um, another website to get like funding information for startups, knowing even which company is a startup and which is not. This is such basic knowledge that is not done at scale yet. A big part of it is just getting the data together or instrumenting it, even data that's not being recorded that should be.
1: Your job as a data scientist, if I put your the, yeah. your position correctly, was basically to find the right sources to put all these data together and make a one stop shop for people to precisely, understand. Precisely,
0: precisely. So building the mechanisms to bring data sets together, to create data sets out of multiple sources and to display that to the user in an easy-to-understand manner, precisely.
1: Was it a challenge?
0: Yeah, it's definitely challenging. It's a really, really hard problem. It's a really hard problem, especially when you factor in also internationalization. Like, to do it in every country has its own challenge. So when you think about it, like, a base problem which we work on, which is in our core DNA, which is industry classification, so knowing essentially what a company does. It sounds like basic, it sounds like something that everyone knows, but in practice, when you look at the whole company space in the UK or another country, you find that the knowledge is pretty inaccurate. Like, if you look at the government industry classification, Code here, for example, about 20% of companies either don't specify it or specify other business activities as their industry classifier. There's a lot of companies that, whose industry don't even know. Now, to do that across jurisdictions where you have different regulations, so different kinds of taxonomies, different languages used. So, if you're using like text to understand industry, which is something we're doing in the UK then it gets a lot harder to allow that. So it's uh, trying to scale it and to apply it in different places involves massive R&D. So definitely one of the most challenging problems i worked on, and I'm saying that having worked on other interesting things.
1: I'm sure. That was a risk management company because you're building a risk profile for each yeah. company that people would... Yeah. Were there also, because you mentioned the term startups, and I know you're very heavily involved in the startups community here in London. Yeah. Were you looking for information about startups as well?
0: That I use it to look for information? Yeah, yeah. So actually I did that. Was I using it for my own purposes? Yeah, but well, for your own yeah, purposes, yeah, course, if
1: you're an investor or you simply you're someone who looks to partner with another startup. Yeah. Most people will mention, oh, Crunchbase and Angelus, And that's pretty much it. But these are not really risk management tools. These are yeah. more like information tools. If you were either a startup or corporates willing to work with a startup, would it be a tool you would use?
0: When it gets to a question like that, it gets a bit more nuanced. So these tools are highly useful and obviously they're very formidable competitors as well, like in the private company information space. However, their approach is quite a specific one, and that is user-generated. content so users outgrow the network so you get people who know people to get each other and what that creates is a rich availability information in a contact in a circle of people who are connected to that but then again if you're getting something out of the system So you get a lot of lack of information, which is the equivalent of like SMEs having difficulty finding loads. If you have someone who is not within that network already, it's really hard to bring them in, to give them the opportunity to come in. So like if someone comes into AngelList and they're not having any connections, all their funny information about people you don't know or have no idea about that is not very helpful because it's all about relationships and correlations between who knows whom. Now, the other layer to that, which was more challenging and which these companies having moved into particularly is the idea that how about the company information that is off of the back of? each of the companies listed there and this company information is not something that you can traditionally source in the form of user-generated content which is why you don't see a company like linkedin having done that for example sourcing how much uh, money this company makes regularly yes this is something you can enter manually on angel list but it's something that requires massive verification as well it's not something you should easily just allow companies to plug in so as a result you either get people approaches as user-generated content who get like highly relevant numbers of people who can interact where what you prioritize there is really information mm Or you get an approach like Duro where it's prioritizing depth of information. So it's about investigation. It's about understanding information about people you might have met for the first time and you have no one in common with. It's about understanding the history of a person or the history of a company, the history of the investors involved in that company. It's quite a different spin on the same problem, I'd say.
1: At Duro, do you also use the power of the networks? Because one part of, of course, these tools that we just mentioned, and I forgot to mention Mattermark, are also tools that are built with the power of the networks. Is there any component of that network being present? in doodle
0: yeah, yeah of course so um especially something doodle is progressing towards off but one of the things the main things we focused on um, at doodle as one of the first starting data sets we created as the data science team is to understanding a more complete coverage of understanding uh, which websites map to which businesses and that allows you to do many things so it allows you to classify more companies about like what they do and to know more information about them you can scrape so many things from a website but it also allows you to create a very elegant way to, to match people to companies. So the more expensive your email data set, the more you easily you can match a person to having worked in this business if you can match the email to this business. So as a result, we've built a pretty elegant mechanism to map. So whenever we log in users, we can map them to which company they work in. And off of that, the direction sort of Doodle is working towards. And I believe some of the most interesting features that are coming out of that are being R slash having been launched recently are things that allow you to understand... So once you share your email information, it allows you to understand which contacts you have in which companies and which contacts you can be introduced to. And that is, so yes, definitely the power of the network is leveraged there and we've leveraged it in many ways. One way is that, one way is showing group structure. One way is just making the navigability between people and companies easy, such that you can flow between different people who direct the different companies. And
1: now you've joined Facebook for a few months, but I mentioned earlier, you are very active in the yeah. uh, the London startup community. I should have mentioned, of course, that Duodil is a notion capital portfolio company, obviously. Yeah. Are there any lessons that you've learned through uh, this process uh, working at Duodil and others? What's your value? What do you actually advise startups on? Because data Something that everybody obviously mentions, but they have a hard time actually making sense out of it.
0: Okay, so I, so there's two components to answer your question. One is like general advice, and one is in relation to data and specific as well. General advice, I think joining a startup at that stage is like, I would have done it again without hesitation, but it, it, there's so many challenges involved in building a company from scratch that you don't get to experience when you join a company with already established rules. And you see that at hand and you go through these challenges and these roller coasters and there's so much you learn there. And while there's a lot to talk about there, if there's like one or two things that I've definitely learned, one is how fundamental focus and making tough choices is because as a form of risk aversion, what you find is that you start off wanting to change the world. You want to do every single, you know that there's a problem in the business space and you want to do all of them. So you want to do risk management, you want to do prospecting, you want to do, like you want to understand every single thing about a company, you want to connect companies when they work, you want to connect people within a company. And then you realize that over time, if you try to do all these things, then you'll never be able to do any single one well. And at the end of the day, your money will run out. So focus, and this is something that I believe a lot of recent research has validated, as one of the main things that distinguishes unicorn from just moderately successful startups was, to, was partly getting focus right, having like laser focus on what problems they wanted to attack. And also timing, and I believe timing was rather than the lesson, I believe it was like getting the timing right is really important. So a lot of the ideas, if you try to do it in 98, it would sound like a brilliant idea, but it doesn't really work. Like if you don't have open source technology that allows you to crunch petabytes of data at scale with elasticity, like cloud tools where you can just expand and contract your computational needs on demand and you pay per hour of use, all these things, all this sort of ecosystem of availability of data, availability of computation capacity, Receptiveness of government in terms of legislation and understanding the value of these things like all this new themes of open data and all that. If you don't have all this in place, then it's really hard to get this across in ninety eight or ninety seven which is why you hear the likes of like Salesforce having gone like for so long with moderate growth and then they just all of a sudden,
1: yeah, absolutely. you see that hockey stick. I, I was in a startup
0: in ninety eight so I remember that very well, so I'd say if there's two things that say timing and focus, and obviously there's also tons of other things that are more like internal that you don't get to experience directly. it's a lot of it is about how do you attract the right talent, how do you hire people at the right time. Because obviously in the lifetime of a startup, timing is very sensitive, like reliance on people is very sensitive. These are the two main pieces of advice. I in terms of data-specific Yeah, and advice. in relation to data-specific, I see a lot of the advice is about what you assume, where the problems are in the data, where are the lowest hanging fruits. And most people assume that you get like a really, really fancy analyst and you have the data at hand and you just crunch it and you bring together miraculous insights. It's almost like when you get like a market signal and you try to predict where the market is going to go just using that signal. And what you realize quickly when you do data science is that there won't be as much insight you get out of the data as there is information in it. So if you have a flat line, there's not much you can do to predict where it's going to go. You're just going to say it's going to stay flat. If you don't have rich information coming in and high quality information coming in, there's no way with the most sophisticated methods you get that you're going to get an impressive solution. Google has a very nice term to describe that from their experience, which they call unreasonable effectiveness of data. And essentially the argument is using very rich data sets to do simple models far outperforms using poor data sets or limited data sets and doing very sophisticated models. That's one thing. That's like most people, when they ask me, they say, how we do this, how we do that? I say, okay, so consider how do you get this data set? Instead of building something too sophisticated to understand something, find how do I get this data point as well that it can help me predict. So that's one thing. So um, the value of data versus the value of the model you build. The other thing is understanding of how much each is going to cost you in terms of time, resources, and and in terms of people you hire. Again, because like this data collection and processing and, and aggregation process is so involved, it's almost like a public secret in the data science domain that a massive portion of time is taking up in preparing data that sometimes outweighs the portion that is taken in analyzing it. This is something that most people who get into the data space don't understand beforehand, which is why their hiring can be skewed in the wrong direction. So they would hire a lot of people to analyze the data before they hire enough people to be able to process it and prepare it. And then there's this cute sense of estimation of cost there and, and how much to pay people. So that would be the second piece of advice. The third piece of advice is in relation to hiring. Data science hiring, the problem with data science is that it's a catch-all term. Like There's data science who are essentially economists, there's data science who are essentially software engineers, and these are very different. And the problem with startups, especially if you are two like non-technical co-founders and are trying to hire someone impressive, then pretty much everyone with a PhD who looks really smart becomes an attractive target. And I've seen that. I've seen people apply from domains that are highly scientific but are not ones who are quantitatively inclined to be able to do data science. So I'd say understanding the type of data scientist you're after and the skills you need to get is really important. Like Language can be really misleading. Don't fall for titles and certain generics that you assume would make someone a data scientist good. Just have a sense of profile. There's a data scientist who's more like an analyst. There's a data scientist who's more like a data engineer. And you need to be able to tell these apart and understand that these get evaluated differently. In Doodle, that was the case. We understand that it's like we hire like two or three different different kinds of data scientists and each one has a different hiring process. Same as is the case in other places.
1: That's interesting because you mentioned two traps. You mentioned the traps of falling for the wrong type of data scientist and you mentioned the trap of actually going the wrong direction because preparing data is actually more time consuming than actually analyzing it. Do you find as well, talking to early stage startups, because I know you're involved at uh, yeah. sort of boot camp, tech etc. Do you also find that the early stage startups make a lot of the wrong assumptions about the quality and the availability of such data? Because the idea yeah. might be great to say, oh, I'm going to do some something related to x and i'm sure the data is out there but they haven't maybe done their homework finding that the data is actually out there and of quality
0: yeah what i actually came across more wasn't exactly that mainly because they didn't understand where to get the data from a lot of companies i mentored one of their main asks the main things they wanted to know about is how do we source potential clients so like lead generation and i wouldn't say that assumption of data availability was as much of a problem mainly because their knowledge of data sources was limited i would say it was more and it's something i personally was also a personally experience I went through as I got more and more experience from academia up to professional world is separating doing things that are really like cool and really complicated and the need to do that. When you're doing something new, whether you are in academia or whether you're starting something new, you want to do something that's really, really impressive and at times this causes you to do something that's more complicated rather than doing something that might not be impressive at all but gets the problem across. An example of that is people asking, how do I use these very very like complicated methods to understand how to rank search results? Where at the end of the day sometimes maybe knowing from that user this and that value since your system is limited you're not building google you're building i don't know a system for hiring or you're building a system for booking apartments or something you don't need to have this open-ended search you need to design a mechanism that sort of limits the problem space to you such that once you get to this free text search it becomes an easier problem or i need to do nlp like natural language processing i need to analyze text and at times this is not even necessary so sometimes understanding how it's like the what they call in the scientific world the occam's razor principle it's like Mm -hmm. It should be as like the best solution is the one that performs the best with the least complexity. Making that decision, especially with the reputation of data science and that sense of complexity can get. Understanding just how far you can go is so little. I think it's a predominant theme in in every startup I spoke to.
1: Now, Joker, question. Do you think that VCs understand these type of dynamics and all this discussion about data as well as they should?
0: I want to be careful about the response there because (laughs) I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to be presumptuous, but because I spoke to a lot of, like when we were raising our series A and Series B which I was closely involved with I spoke to a lot of VCs of varying levels and a lot of very sophisticated ones as well I say um, so I don't have 100% knowledge of what they judge based on after they meet with us so maybe there are certain things they look at that I might not be aware of but I'd say based on the discussion I say there's more to do in terms of technical due diligence and understanding of problem spaces I say there's a skew to not like confirmation bias but I say overall I'd say exciting problems are kind of easier to sell even if feasibility is not very clear and my general sense is that most VCs don't have a sense of the technical feasibility at times because sometimes something is just simply not feasible with the resources you have at hand. Like there's a lot of like startups, interesting startups coming up in the natural language processing space but a lot of the problems they might try to attack with the methods they're using are just not feasible. If you go to someone who's like a real expert in that area then they will tell you this problem is, is years away from solving. Yes sometimes it's about ambition and getting money to solve something but it's not always the reason they get funded. They just sometimes get funded just because because they express wanting to solve that problem and the tools at hand are just like too far away. So sometimes taking these kinds of risks, like prioritizing how impressive a problem is or how big its impact can be if it's solved, sometimes I've seen it take more focus rather than understanding the technical feasibility well, which I s- definitely experienced more as a late stage thing you get into when you actually in very advanced discussions.
1: Better data should lead to better interaction and should lead to better collective action. And since, so let's start at the very beginning of what you said in this show, you were working at Oxford, solving also some societal issues and also when you were talking about that data should also help understand an economy as a whole. Same question for VCs, but now for government. Do you think that government, whether the UK or not, here I'm not pointing fingers, uh, understand this debate (laughs) and the full extent of how data could help make better decisions, sometimes of course with the help of private companies including startups?
0: I would say like having been in the UK for four to five years involved in that space, I'd say I was quite impressed by the British government's support of like open data and understanding of the value of data and how like how responsive and understanding like they actually through my involvement with dudo they were very proactive in trying to understand what certain data sets might need to be opened up and what value there is and they were very sort of progressive in the understanding of the values there and part of the reason there is that government now is sort of very close to that ecosystem a lot of the people that are taking up leadership positions in relation to these things are people who are have been there done that type of people in that space so that's you get that as a result so that's what i say i was impressed with now can the government do more yes it can definitely do more it's a, it's a question of feasibility so like for business of for course. example they can obviously do a lot more in relation to issues like beneficial owners so uh, up to that moment it's quite sometimes quite hard to understand who the actual shareholder in relation to a business is and that has a lot of cost to the economy in many ways sometimes it's relation to fraud but sometimes it's just in relation to simpler things just risk management in general with the lack of that information there's more to do but i think definitely the british government's on the right track and, and in general like the eu side of the world has a massive advantage in terms in terms of the way business data is regulated and how much data is instrumented and available compared to the US, for example, which is still lacking in that space.
1: I actually fully agree and also the quality of the government's understanding in the UK. Yeah. So now, I mean, you hang out, I guess, in many startup events, of course, here in London, yeah. maybe also abroad. If people want to find you out, they can, of course, show up. But is yeah. there a way to reach you?
0: The best way to reach me is through email. I'm quite open to helping out people at very, very different stages of, of the company cycle. Even now, come working like the earlier the better the more I can provide differential value to people the more happy I am um, like more recently over time I've been involved more and more with earlier stages of a company's lifetime it's something I've really enjoyed so yeah my email would be the best way to reach me at the moment so it's um A like the first letter of my first name and then medhat M-E-D-H-A-T M at gmail.com thank awesome. you so
1: much I to see you very soon uh, that bye. was awesome
0: thanks for bye bye